Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Bryan here. I just want to remind you today that you're valuable. Whatever you may be going through today, whatever you may be facing, you have value. You have something to bring. If you're in a situation that you just don't know how you're going to make it through, just know that you will come out of this and you will be better because of it. Everybody, Doc Brian here and welcome to Doc Talks. We talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. Now, today I have with me Andrew F. Carter. You may have seen him on Instagram or TikTok has has quite the following and uh, has has done a coffee and prayer time every morning for the last 300-something days, I think. Uh, it probably feels like 300-something years some days. But, uh, Andrew, it's good to have you with us today. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here. Honored. Yeah. Uh, so, Andrew and I met, um, I guess, a month ago in Dallas where we were recording a project with, with Joshua Broom about masculinity, about self-identity, vulnerability, all of those things. And um, funny story, while I was taking pictures of, you know, myself with other people, you know, to post on Instagram, I, I took a picture with Andrew and sent it, posted it on my Instagram. And my wife was like, is that the real Andrew F. Carter? And I was like, I don't even know this guy. Like, who is this guy? And my wife was completely fangirling over the fact that I had taken a picture with you. So uh, thanks for that. I appreciate that. Absolutely welcome. My pleasure. Yeah. So uh, in getting to know Andrew, uh, you, you shared with me uh, a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today. So can you just kind of bring us into your life uh, before you went to prison and now life afterwards? Yeah, most definitely. Um, so before prison, uh, you got to have a little backstory. I grew up in and out of foster care. Uh, both of my parents were drug addicts. So I started drinking, smoking weed, um, having sex at the age of 12. And uh, it was mainly because I was doing what was being done around me in my environment. So it was a monkey see, monkey do kind of uh, situation. That's what I knew. There was no church. There was no religion. There was no God. It was just kind of live as you see fit. And, uh, you know, there may or may not be consequences, but a lot of people in my family were in trouble with the law, but it was just like this generational curse of debauchery, immorality, and addiction. And so I was following in the footsteps. I was following suit. I heard the name of Jesus when I was 17 years old and decided to give my life to Jesus. I said, yes, uh, somebody broke down the gospel, uh, sanctification, salvation, um, eternal separation from God. And after an hour presentation, I was like, yeah, I need that. I need this Jesus guy. But the issue was is that I, I never 
got into church after that night. I never was properly discipled. I didn't even have a Bible. I went right back to the same environment that I was in. So if you ask me, I believe that I received Christ, but the process of getting to where I'm at now has been, it's been decades. It's been over 20 years since then. Fast forward, I found myself in a church where I was being discipled and uh, to be a pastor. So I was in a church planting church and that was the goal of all of the men in ministry. Even though I wasn't for it, I was there. And so I went through the rigors of uh, fasting and learning and Bible study and just, you know, going through the ins and outs of that. It came to a point where I was um, given a prophetic word over my life after about two and a half years or so in this church. And the word was that I would speak to millions of people about Jesus, that I was called to ministry and that I had words of gold. In that moment, as a 23, 24 year old young man with two kids uh, struggling in a job in a manufactured uh, home warehouse, I was like, no, thank you. That, that sounds horrible. I don't know a million people. I don't like to talk in front of people. I don't want to be a pastor. So I left church and what happened over the next 10 years was uh, you kind of alluded to it. I, I succeeded. I went back to school, got a couple college degrees, played college basketball, started a business, uh, was making over six figures every single year. But I had never gone back and addressed any of my childhood trauma, none of my issues, none of uh, the stuff that was kind of going on and festering deep down inside of me. I'd never had the help or address the things that I needed to. And so I was really a ticking time bomb waiting to just explode. Uh, you give a kid from that background a whole bunch of money and power and respect. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up abusing that power. I, I ended up going to prison. And after prison, I spent 18 months of not even like pursuing the face of God, not looking for the Lord, just kind of working on myself, writing in my journal. I think I read 50 books in the first 50 days because we were on you know lockdown and security measures. So I was consuming knowledge and the goal and the purpose was for me to become the best version of myself, essentially. After 50 50 days there, 18 months locked in prison. I came out, hit the streets, and I was like, um, for a lack of better words, I was still trying to find myself, trying to navigate what that looked like. But uh, I started going back to church after some people were praying for me and some leading and nudging. And uh, I found myself dusting off the Bible, starting to get back into my word, reconnecting with uh, Jesus. And it was a TikTok that went viral that uh, put me in the place that I'm at. I posted a video and in that video, I pointed, I have these videos and I don't say a word, it's just music. And it was things God's carried me through. And I had like a Lauren Daigle track in the background. It was emotional. And I had like a tear in my eye and I pointed at four boxes and the boxes said prison, foster care, divorce, and then everything else. Like basically everything I've gone through, God has carried me through. I posted the video the night before I had 200 followers. The next morning when I woke up after posting it, I had over 15,000, 15,000. So the video had gone viral. As I was reading through the, the messages the following day, I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, I don't understand what this is about. This has got to be a God thing. First time I ever spoke about God really publicly. Uh, there was a message and a man said, Andrew, um, I saw your video last night and uh, I've gone through prison. I've gone through foster care and I've, I've gone through a divorce. And he goes, last night I was going to kill myself. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for your video, I saw you pointing at those things and pointing to God. Uh, I wouldn't be here right now. And so in that moment, I realized that what I had stumbled into 
had the power and the ability to save lives. And in that moment, that prophetic word, it had been over 10 years since I'd gotten that word, came back to my mind where I would speak to millions of people, have words of gold, and was called to ministry. And so from that moment forward, I started a new trajectory and path of using social media as a digital missionary to preach the gospel around the world. Sure. So uh, just rewinding here for a moment, you said you were very successful, six figures, and and that was in personal training. Is that right? Yeah, I owned a gym. Okay. So you had the discipline that it took to do certain things, such as running a business. Obviously, uh, you're very well physically fit. You're kind of scary to be next to because you're just huge. Uh, <laughs> but But you had that discipline, but you didn't have the discipline in the right areas that really mattered. Can you just share with us a little bit of how you ended up in prison? Yeah. So um, I actually hit somebody in the head with a bottle. So it was uh, an anniversary party at my gym. I was on the Chamber of Commerce. We had uh, hundreds of people at this event. We were celebrating our success. And it was at the end of the night. uh, People were inebriated. People were taking pills. And a racial slur was uh, said to me. And in, you know, there's no excuse for my actions or behaviors, but in my a drunken stupor, I grabbed a bottle that was close to me and hit the individual with it just like that. So in one moment, I went from celebrating our success and in five seconds went to like, okay, I've just lost everything. But isn't it interesting that that's kind of how life does us, that there is that, that one moment that we react and everything changes. Yeah. And, and whether you want to call that a divine intervention or whatever you may do it, that, that one area changes the trajectory of everything that we have and everything that we know. One of the questions I asked you was, if this was your first offense, this was the only thing you'd ever presumably been in trouble for, then why such a lengthy sentence? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't the very first thing that I've done. And it was an actual very lenient sentence uh, from the way things worked out. So I had a history of crime and violence that started at a very young age. Uh, Part of my defense mechanism as a kid in that environment was to puff yourself up and to, uh, you know, I was taught to, you got to take respect. It's not something that's given. And so my mindset was, um, I was lost, man. So no, I had been in trouble multiple times in and out of jail for various crimes over the years. It, it was after, I think there was that span of time in my life, there was probably a good six or seven years where I hadn't been in trouble. So when I went back to school and I was getting degrees and I was succeeding, it was, there was a big chunk of time that had gone between my last offense. But like I said, in that time, I had never healed. I had never sought counseling. I had never done anything to really heal the trauma. I merely masked it with this, with, with success. So success had become this mask and this front that I could put out there. So people saw the success and would assume that I was whole healed and healthy. Couldn't have been further from the truth. And that mask over time eventually withered away. And I was exposed for who I was truly uh, operating as behind the scenes. 
Yeah, I think it's a hard thing for most of us to kind of the realization of is that that mask will eventually be peeled away. Yeah. Or we will have to remove ourselves from everybody that we know and go somewhere else and start over. And and that is so physically and emotionally and mentally exhausting. Why do you think it is that we have to project ourselves as something that we're not in those moments? You know, as a, as a person on this side of the cross, I realize that we don't. As a follower of Christ, I realize we don't, but I believe it's the culture and the environment that we, we live in. It's the, the media, the social media, the news, the entertainment. Um, there were bombarded with images of what it is to be successful, what it is to be a man. There's definitions for uh, the way that things should be, and none of them are grounded or rooted in truth. And so in order to belong or to feel acceptance, many of us pretend to be something that we're not in order to feel like we're some uh, part of something greater than ourselves. Yeah. Just right before this podcast, I met with a client and um, I really had to just have him to explain to me what success was because he doesn't feel that he's successful. Well, what really is success? What what does that look? And and as you said, social media, uh, media in general, gives us this false expectation of of what success really is and what that looks like. Being in prison, knowing that you have this 16, 18-month term, whatever it was, what effects on your mental health came into play there? Hmm. I was worried and concerned about my family. Uh, more so than anything. At the time, I had a wife and three kids, all boys whom up until this point, I had been a part of their lives. I coached my kids' teams. I was a very involved dad. And to go from uh, the picture that they saw was dad who had it together, who was chamber of commerce and a business owner uh, and, and you know would go on trips to now dad behind bars. Now, they did have a chance to see me behind the scenes, behind closed doors. I would lash out. I wasn't abusive to them in any way, shape or form, but they got to see kind of the man behind the mask. They got those that sneak preview uh, that not a lot of people had the chance to observe. But to see me in this light was probably the hardest thing because I was trying to protect them. I was trying to be there for them. But when you're removed from the home um, and it's, it's something that you're so used to, that was the, the most challenging thing. And so I had to find ways to keep myself busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you, you had mentioned you went through uh, kind of a, a time of self-development and reading 50 books in 50 days. How important would you say that is and was within your mental health and, and personal development? I think it was paramount. Uh, I believe that God can take any mess that we make and make a miracle out of it. And so even though my focus and my eyes weren't on him in that place and space, there were still books. A lot of the books I was reading were uh, faith-based books. So I was reading The Purpose Driven Life. I was reading all kinds of different books, uh, even some fiction books <laughs> I enjoyed, but, uh, just the consuming of the, the content allowed me to escape for a moment. And it gave me a reprieve 
but it was also, uh, there was also a lot of practices and exercises that these books come with. And so uh, because time was uh, something that I had a lot of on my hands, I was able to actually sit down, process, read, think, reflect. I journaled every day that I was there. So I came home with a big old stack of journals because it was important for me to consume, but then also to get all of the things out that were inside on paper to, uh, you know, have a better understanding and look at it from a different perspective. Yeah. And, and, you know, in therapy, uh, we talk about, I hate the word manifestation, but that's really what it is when, when we are able to get it out of our brain and out in words and whether that be written word or spoken words, that's really what begins to bring healing is that it's no longer just an inner process, but it's on the outside and we're sharing that with somebody. With that being said, you journaling, you were able to process a lot of that on an outward uh, emotion to where it just wasn't on the inside. Um, Did you have an occasion while you were in prison to help somebody else to say, hey, this is what I'm doing, this is what's working for me? Or did you try to stay to yourself and, and your own? Oh, I'm a social butterfly. I had all kinds of friends and I was running my own programs. Uh, I did create a a kettlebell program. So being that I was in the gym industry, I set up to where I was teaching and leading a kettlebell workout, very similar to a CrossFit class two times a day. So I would get up and teach a morning class at about 5.15 a.m. And then I would teach an evening class at 5.15 p.m. So I was very hands-on in the physical development. And then as I was helping these men develop themselves physically, I would be encouraging them to do the same thing. So I need you guys to write these things down. I would uh, recommend books. And that's one thing about prison is there, there's a library. It's a common library. And so the information is passed. If somebody has like an ESPN magazine, Everybody in the facility gets their hands on it at some time. So you'll read it. And then it's, you know, the next person goes, let me get that next. And it's the same with books. So if I read a really good book, I'm seeking somebody else who I think it might be good for. And so there's a real, uh, it's a flow of information that you find. Yeah. And so then you mentioned a divorce. Um, Did that begin while you were in prison or did that happen afterwards? Uh, a little bit of both. Unbeknownst to me, uh, there was some extramarital uh, situations going on. Uh, for, as far as I know, I'm still very unsure of uh, the exact way that it happened. But upon coming home, I got into the, the deeper details and intricacies of what was taking place. And so uh, the divorce occurred after I returned home, shortly after, within months. And, and how traumatic was that for you? Honestly, it wasn't as traumatic as um, the, the, my situation was very unique in the sense that we got married when we were 19 years old and we were married because I got her pregnant. And so me not having a father, I never wanted to bring a kid into this world and have to experience that same fatherlessness. And so I did what I thought was right at the moment. And so I married her. It wasn't a marriage that was really birthed or rooted in true love, but more out of you know, obligation. It was, a, it was a moral obligation. And so we had our issues from the beginning because it wasn't something rooted in that. 
And so for 14 years, we had our issues and we kept adding kids to this marriage, thinking that that would be uh, a solution to the problem, which we all know it was not. And so the 18 months away actually gave her an opportunity to figure out who she is apart from me, because we grew up together as kids and what she wanted out of life and, you know, and, and what she was truly drawn to. And when I came home, it was very clear that we were two different people heading in two different directions. And so it wasn't as traumatic in my experience, because I feel like we had an opportunity to go our separate ways. Uh, I want to say amicably, it wasn't super amicable, but uh, you know, to this point it is now, but it was, it was a godsend. It was a blessing in disguise. It mm. really was. So you, you mentioned that, that you got married because it was the moral thing to do. And there may be our listeners that may not agree with that being the moral thing to do. What would you say, looking back, while it in your eyes was the moral thing to do, was it the most beneficial? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, and, and my moral compass was non-existent at that time. A 19-year-old kid uh, with no father who was in and out of jail and was in trouble. So uh, for me, that <laughs> as far as my moral compass, which was clearly broken, it most certainly was. Was it beneficial? I would say yes. I would say looking back, it was beneficial because what it did is it did slow me down. Having a kid and being a, a husband put a new twist on things. And so um, I had to leave the streets. I had to get a factory job. I had to, you know, change my life in essence. And so it was, it was kind of forced. I, I believe firmly that if um, I didn't have a kid at that age, I probably would have been dead by now uh, just because of the direction, because my lack of moral compass. Yeah. So now out of prison, you have this, this calling on your life at this point. How does that even begin to, to play out? So, you know, I started as being a digital missionary or a kingdom content creator. I got sucked into this thing that they call Christian TikTok. And so I went from reestablishing my relationship with Christ to somebody who is now in a position of like, sharing, not teaching, not discipling, not even ministering, but just being a leader in that space. And I look back at my life and realize that I had the, the teaching, I had the discipleship at, in that timeline where I was in this church and being discipled. So it was really like relearning to ride a bike. I had the technique. I knew I had the understanding. I just hadn't done it for a long time. And so it was just kind of reawoken inside of me. Now I'm in this position where I'm leading and uh, I'm sharing the gospel. I'm helping people reestablish a relationship with Jesus. And over time, as I connected more with just the Holy Spirit and I connected with other people who are leaders, they kept saying, there is a calling on your life. And so I started putting people in places as mentors. I started getting uh, more accountability and overseers and elders in my life who I trust and admire. And uh, they started nudging and pushing in a direction to the to direction that I'm in now. And so now you're you're remarried. Yes. You have how many children do you have? We have, I have the three kids, my three, three kids. And uh, you're now pastoring a church that has come from digital evangelism that has developed into a local church there in uh, it Los Angeles, where you're at? Yes. At the Miracle Theater of all places. 
so tell us about that journey from from being divi- uh, because I I still consider you to be a digital evangelist in in a lot that you do. Tell us a little bit about that that transfer there of what that looked like. Yeah. Uh, so as influence grew. I got a, I started getting a lot more speaking engagements. People wanted to bring me out to speak to youth camps, youth conferences, really just to share my story, to share my testimony. And as I would do so, uh, there was the Holy Spirit always had gone before, and there would always be a large reception of individuals receiving, um, you know, making decisions for Jesus essentially. And so. Uh, these speaking engagements started to morph into not just sharing my testimony, but coming up with messages and sermons and um, designing those things and, and sharing with the masses. And so it was at the end of a, we did a five day youth conference in Ohio and there was just clear as day. God speaking to us because we were wondering why we were here in this city. I'm not from Los Angeles. My wife isn't either. And we've met in this place and we're like questioning, why are we here in Inglewood, California, in Los Angeles of all those spots? And it was clear that uh, he was saying, I, I have you here to plant, to plant this church. And so the transition and process, I feel like it was very seamless because we meet once a month. Uh, everything else is still done digitally. So I'm still in that space. And what we have, you know, is, is, is a hybrid. It's a hybrid church. And and do people relate to that better, do you feel, than traditional, you know, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, midweek service? Do people, are they gravitated more towards just one service a month? You know, it's, it's hard to tell because I don't have a real solid baseline of being in the church beforehand. So this is really what I know what I'm seeing is real transformation occurring and it's, it's just a move of the Holy spirit because a part of what we're doing is it's not about putting butts in seats. It's about real relationships and discipleship, like really walking with people. And because of social media, you know, you even mentioned it, I'm able to go live and be a part of these people's lives every day. You know, we're over, we're almost to a year right now. So we're pushing up to about 330 days in a row where I've been a part of these people's lives consistently which is really the true picture of discipleship is me grabbing their hand and showing them, leading them by example and walking with them. And so I don't know if that it's more effective or more preferable, but I think that it is, uh, it's an arm or it's an, it's a leg, it's a piece of the body and God is definitely present and using it for those who might never step foot in a traditional church. Yeah. You know, one of the things that that I really love about you is that, first of all, you're very humble to be in the position that you're in. Uh, And I think that is one of the key principles that any Christian should have, Uh, but also that you're teachable. Uh, when we met at Dallas, you were telling us, you know, about things that you did and, and myself and, and George Gregory and Andrew Yates said, Hey man, we love what you're doing, but you need to make sure it's sustainable. You know, that you're not wearing yourself out, that you're not, uh, you know, just getting to a place of where you've got so much going on, you want to give up and, and you receive that and you receive that. Well, how do you feel about other ministries that put too much focus on regularity as opposed to 
just showing Jesus to the hurting. I think that they're missing the they're missing the point. Um, I believe church is about Jesus. It's about the body of Christ gathering. It's about uh, us not just gathering, but equipping one another, challenging each other, holding each other accountable. Uh, I believe that the model that the direction that churches have headed, uh, I believe, is, have missed the mark. I believe Jesus would turn over some tables if he walked into some of the churches that are established and happening now. And I believe 2020, as it was, it was a disruption. And I think that it was a move of God trying to disrupt the way that things have been and trying to reintegrate or really to get us refocused. It's not that he's rejecting us. It's just saying, hey, I love you but you guys are missing the mark. This is, this is about me. And we've become so consumed with putting butts in seats. Uh, the worship's got to be like a rock show, lasers and smokes and lights. And it's got to be this event with this emotional response. And now it's become a production more so than a gathering and a meeting. And so uh, the emphasis has to be on Christ. It has to be on Jesus. And he's raising up guys like myself who don't have a whole lot of back church experience. So I can't really compare to what church was like. I can only compare to what the spirit is moving in my heart and what it should look like. So um, I think that that's, it's a move that we're seeing a lot more pop up around here. Yeah. So we have just a few more minutes left, but I wanted to ask you, because being in digital evangelism, people have seemingly a lot more access to you than they would in a traditional church setting. So what about mental health? When that comes into play, you know, there's a, I can say as a pastor myself, but also as a, a mental health professional, that there is a line there that that we've got to be careful uh, as opposed to where we counsel somebody biblically or that we send them to a mental health professional. How do you, how do you regulate that? What is your kind of, kind of rule of thumb there? Yeah, I, I'm just very prayerful and watchful uh, about it. I, I think that you can tell. I have my line is very clear and it's very drawn out, and I don't even get close to it. So the line isn't there for me to tip as close as I can to it. The line is there, and then there's another line that keeps me from getting to that line. Um, I, I make sure that the access, there's guardrails, that there's boundaries. I make sure that I'm setting up things for my own personal mental health so that I'm not burning myself out. I take time for myself. But when I recognize as I'm interacting with an individual that I can't help them, I'm more than okay with getting them the help that they need because that's what it's about, right? It's about helping people. I'm not so proud or prideful that I'm going to stand in this place where I have no footing trying to help somebody else. That's only going to get us both drowned, you know? So I, I, I have a, an understanding of like, this is beyond my scope. This is out of my league. Let me call in the professionals. Yeah. Well, even, even myself, I know that there are clients who I'm not suited for mm -hmm. that, that I have to uh, refer out or pass off. And we just got to be very clear about those boundaries. So as we end here, um, somebody that's listening to you and your story today, what encouragement would you give to them or what would your message to those people be? Mm. I just had one thing is that, uh, don't listen to the lie 
that this world is trying to sell you and tell you. Uh, I believe that this world has a loud message and that loud message is that everything is about you. And I think that as we believe this message uh, about life being about us, we start to pursue things that are counterfeit to what only God can provide. And so the world will define success and peace and happiness and love relationship. It will tell us what life is to look like, but uh, we know, and I'm not to give him too much credit, but the enemy is referred to as the deceiver, uh, the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren. And so he uses deception uh, and counterfeit in order to draw our attention and our affections off of God. I would encourage you that the peace, the happiness, the joy, the purpose, uh, the plan, the direction, all of the things that you're searching for are found in Christ alone. And that's where you should begin your journey of looking. That's where I found it. Even after achieving what this world defines as success, because on paper, I have achieved those things, but I've never truly been more satisfied and at peace than pursuing what Christ has called me to. So I would encourage you guys, go to Jesus. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, tell our listeners where they can find you. So you guys can find me on Pinterest, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, basically every form of social media. Did you under- say Pinterest? Yes, sir. Are you, you posting sure? like arts and crafts there or something? I am posting how to pray videos. <laughs> I am posting how to read your Bible videos. So if you're looking for a job, I might pop up on LinkedIn. If you're looking for a recipe, I might pop up on Pinterest. But uh, all forms of social media at Andrew F. Carter. Andrew F. Carter. We'll make sure to put that in the description of this episode. Uh, thank you for listening today. Of course, I'm Doc Brian. You can find all of my social media links at thedocbrian.com. Or you can give us a call at 910-777-7239. You can text us, leave us a message, whatever you would like to do. If you have questions uh, for Andrew, just just call in, let us know, and we'll we'll get them sent to him and may just make him come back on here and answer your questions and uh, be a good time. So give us a call, text us 910-777-7239. Thank you for listening today. We're so glad you were here, Andrew. Once again, it was great to have you. Thank you.